You know, every now and then I'll have some smart aleck say, you pastors, you know, you only work one day a week. This video is proof that they're right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, man. Uh, This morning, we are continuing the latest iteration of our Live Free series. This recurring series explores the intersection between our mental and emotional health and well-being and our spiritual lives and discipleship to Jesus. And we've been discovering each time we return to this series that there's a lot of truth that these two areas have in common. And we're applying these truths to our lives from a biblical, holistic perspective. In fact, um, we've been working on this for quite a while, right? This subject of mental health. And for the last couple years, we've been returning to this series. And now we have a webpage that you can let people know about. If you're ever talking to someone they're going through a mental health challenge, some, something's going on in their life, and say, well, my church talks a lot about that. And in fact, the Bible has a lot of things to say about that. And my faith speaks to that in some very real and practical ways. You can send them to outlookchurch.org slash mental health. And we have some resources there. And, and also, all the Live Free series can all, also all live on that one page. So it's a one-stop place to go to, to send someone that you might be, uh, might be in your life, someone you might be talking to about these issues. Now, in these four weeks that we started last week, we're exploring the best practices and approaches for fostering solid, steady mental and emotional health. The truth of the scriptures uncovers the ideas and habits that are keeping us unhealthy and shows us patterns and perspectives that have long proven to be life-giving. And so that's what we're going to be exploring in this month of the series. So last week we talked about acceptance. We'll be talking about boundaries and habits and care. Today we're going to talk about rest and contentment. A lot of our insanity and anxiety and depletion and depression can be traced back to a lack of these, a lack of rest and contentment. From what are we suffering? It's as old as humanity, But most experts feel like we're likely at an all-time high mental and emotional exhaustion. Anyone relate? We allow far too many tasks and projects and activities and sometimes people to make demands of us. Too many withdrawals, not enough deposits. You know, just twice, just recently, I ended up letting my gas tank get to near empty. When that happens... For me, I know it's a sign I'm not paying attention. Demands are up to here, and that little chime in my car gives uh, me, that, that my car gives me, brings me back to reality. Oh, I need to pay attention to that empty gas tank. I shouldn't go much farther without doing something about that. Anyone remember when our cars didn't have such a chime? Yeah, ask me how I know all about that, okay? But here's the butt kicker. When I let my spiritual, mental, emotional tank get to E, I'm very likely to miss the signal. And there are signals, though not nearly as pleasant as my car's little chime, right? The inability to sleep, short-temperedness, brain fog, compulsive coping behaviors, overeating, overshopping, overworking, neglecting our loved ones, checking out emotionally. The list could go on and on and on. The signals that tell me I'm on E. But by the time the signal gets loud enough to get our attention, it often means some damage has already been done. 
So a big part of not letting that tank get to low, uh, get that low, is what we're talking about today. Rejecting the hurry, the hustle, the grind, the success image cycle that we can find ourselves on. Cultivating instead rest and contentment. Now, striving can be good. There are certainly holy and healthy ambitions that we may, might have in our lives, but there is a line, and too often, most of us cross it. I want to begin this morning by letting these words of Jesus wash over us from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said this at one point, beautiful words, Come to me, he said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, that that was a way of talking about, take my teaching, a yoke across your shoulders. Carry my teaching, he says, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, we could read that again and again and again, couldn't we? Weary and burdened is a great description of how many of us feel. We are weary by the pace and the expectations of life. We are burdened by the pains and injustices of the world or our own tragic circumstances at times or the, simply the challenges that we face. And far too often we carry these ourselves and we try to carry them by ourselves and on our own. Heavy seems to come easily and it wears us down. But Jesus is offering us something else. His way is not heavy. It is easy and light, as he puts it. So this message this morning, man, it is about something that I confess I struggle with directly. Rest and contentment. So this is as much confession as it is sermon. It is a teaching I need to keep learning. I confess that right now. Far too often, I'm like Frank Costanza. Remember Frank Costanza from from Seinfeld, where he learned the coping mechanism of just simply screaming, serenity now, whenever he faced a a challenging situation. I I thought it, I I was thinking about this, because last Sunday we ended the sermon with what's called the serenity prayer, right? You might remember that. It begins, God grant me the serenity. And man, I got to tell you, far too often in this week, I was definitely feeling like this right here. If you could just paste my face right here. This is how I felt at different times throughout the week. But instead, I'm yelling, God, grant me the serenity, right? The beginning of that prayer, which makes no sense. If you're screaming that, then you've got real problems, right? You know, like this is not this is not lining up. But that's just God grant me the serenity. That's that's what that was me and, and can be me at times. Maybe you can relate. The hustle, the grind, the challenges, the the constant uh, task list that you get one thing done and three more pop up, right? And yet there's something about us that that says if something is difficult, well, then that must be the right thing. And if something is easy, I must be lazy. Am I the only one who interprets things that way? And so we go and we go and we go. But here's a couple questions worth asking. What are we trying to outrun? Because often it feel, I feel like probably we are. In all of our activity, we're trying to outpace something, trying to leave it behind. Or another question, perhaps even more probing, what are we trying to prove in all of our going and doing? And to whom are we trying to prove it? Man, we could spend a lot of time on that, right? 
we try to answer around here every, time, every chance we get, who is God, right? Because who we think God is in our own lives says a lot about who we are right now and what's going on in us, our answer to that question. So let me, among all the other beautiful answers that can be given to the question, who is God, let me add this one. God is the one person to whom we have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove to Him. And neither do I. Hurry, discontent, striving. We think being poured out, which is a good thing, equals being worn out, which is not so much a good thing. That hurry or a packed schedule is a prerequisite for meaning and significance. We are restless, literally. But what if, what we're, fa- what if we're fall falling for something that's killing us? This idea that that's where meaning is found. What if there is a better way? One of my favorite authors uh, is a guy named N.T. Wright, and at one point he says, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. And I really like that. And I just discovered another theologian that I'm enjoying reading. His name is Kasuki Koyama, and he wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. And I want to quote from him. He says, God walks slowly because he is love. Love has its speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. Our average human on a normal stroll walks about three miles an hour. And so his premise is that if God walks with us, that's how fast God walks. And that when we get in a hurry, often we end up running ahead of and outpacing and leaving behind all the love that God wants to show us. Now that's a perspective that perhaps we need. So I want to now, laying down that perspective before us, add to it some practices, some rhythms to cultivate that. We're going to look at three briefly this morning. Sabbath, generosity, and gratitude. They're not the only ones by any stretch, but they are powerful ones. So let's dive right in. And first I want to talk about Sabbath. Now we know it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Keeping the Sabbath. But before Sabbath is a noun, it's a verb. It means to stop. So the Sabbath is a day to stop. Now, from our New Testament perspective, we see the Sabbath with a wide-angle lens. We see that the gospel of grace provides us salvation apart from our works, so we rest in Jesus as He's invited us to. We read that earlier. We rest in Him and what He's done for us. So in that sense, Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. He's our need to stop from striving to earn any love from God, but instead we accept that by grace. Hebrews 4 communicates this, for we all have entered into God's rest and have rested, or for all who have entered into God's rest, pardon me, have rested from their labors, just as God did when creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. In other words, there's something here to aim for. Let's do our best, he says, the author of Hebrews says, to enter that Rest. Now, as with all the commandments, Jesus doesn't cancel them, but rather imbues them with deeper meaning. And I feel like he's doing some of that when he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. We need rest. He seems to know that. God has seemed to know that from the beginning. Our bodies, our spirits, both need rest. There is still a wisdom God provides in Sabbath 
keeping that we do well not to miss, even if we are free from the legal requirements, so to speak, from the Old Testament law, that that Sabbath must happen at a certain time and in a certain way. There is a rhythm and a pattern here, however, that is worth not throwing out. A day to stop once a week. Stop working, stop striving, stop the task list, stop doing. Dallas Willard writes in his book, The Great Omission, about this. He says, the command is do no work. Just make space. Attend to what is around you. Learn that you don't have to do to be. I mean, that lesson right there, for some of us, we need that tattooed on our arm, right? Learn that you don't have to do to be. Accept the grace of doing nothing. Stay with it until you stop jerking and squirming, right? Like, oh, I just can't, I got to go do something, right? So the emphasis here, and we're talking about our mental health, why did God establish this pattern of Sabbath? Because he knows that we need to be more than we need to do. We need to abide before we obey. We know that doing can flow from our being, but when our doing is just running out there rampant, not grounded in who we are and who we consistently remind ourselves we are, then we're on a way to not just burn out, but something even worse, right? We're just going to deplete ourselves completely. We need rest physically. God gave us these bodies. He seems to know what we require, right? So the command to keep the Sabbath is healthy and reminds us that being busy can be like a disease at times. We overcommit. We multitask our multitasking. We stay so busy we don't have enough time for what's important. We rarely, if ever, stop. And God says you need a stop day. If your body never knows when the next stop day is coming, it sends out stress hormones. These hormones are commonly known as the fight or flight response, that shot of adrenaline that can save your life. But no matter what, a few hours later, you'll feel utterly exhausted like you've been hit by a truck. Do that every day, day upon day upon day, and you can see what we're talking about. When we're under stress long-term, our bodies produce another stress hormone called cortisol. Too much cortisol production contributes to a host of medical conditions and mentally emotional challenges. So God gives us the Sabbath every seven days. Jesus says, I will give you rest. A few Outlook guys were over at my house the other day for a discipleship group, and uh, we were discuss- as we were discussing it, my friend and one of our elders, Greg Owens, he commented on the passage that we were looking at. He said Jesus was making the truth plain and easy to understand. He said Jesus was, and I quote, breaking it down Barney style. We all kind of leaned in, like, what do you mean by that? You remember the big purple dinosaur preschoolers used to watch back in the day? I really love that. He was breaking it down Barney style. So let me break it down Barney style. Sometimes the wisest, the healthiest, and yes, the most spiritual thing we can do is rest. Take a nap. Unplug. Give yourself some time to be with God, to be with those you love, to be with yourself in God, and rest. Trust God to run the universe without you. Right? Remember, it's not God who's in a hurry. We are. It's not Christ who's impatiently tapping his toe or drumming his fingers, anxious for us to get more done or measure up. That's coming from me. 
We're hurried and worried when He is neither. And so much of our anxiety and sleeplessness and stress come from going, going, doing, doing, trying to measure up or keep up. And keep up with whom? Because what I'm starting to pick up here is that keeping up with God sounds like the most important thing I could ever do. And maybe to keep up with Him, I need to slow down. Because He's taking His time. And I should pay attention to that. There's so much richness to this subject of Sabbath, and we don't have time to unpack all of it today, but I do encourage you to give it a serious look for our own mental and emotional and spiritual health. Tamara and I started approaching the practice of Sabbath. We'd been doing some reading about it, and we started to see, wow, this, this, there's a lot of beauty to this practice, and we realized we really weren't doing such a hot job of it. So um, we have been trying to devote a 24-hour period each week to being and no doing. Now, again, I have to confess, the only problem is we're having trouble finding such a 24-hour period. But we're going to keep at it. We're working on it. Sometimes finding rest requires some work to get there. What did the author of Hebrews say? Do your best to enter that rest. Now, what we can find and what is actually easier to find than one day out of seven is one dollar out of ten. I'm talking about giving and generosity. Now, what does that have to do with contentment? And I'm here to tell you and testify a lot. Because when we make it a habit to give, then we are making a declaration against scarcity, which is what drives so much of our hurry and our worry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read, God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This rhythm might not at first seem to have much to do with our mental health, but what we're reading here is true. When we give reliably and decidedly, we are trusting in God and not ourselves. And part of the thing that's exhausting us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, is the fact that we are trying to rely on ourselves. So much of our hustle and hurry comes from feeling that it's all up to us. If we don't take care of business, if we don't take care of ourselves, who will, we wonder. But God is all the time standing there saying, I'm here to do just that. Just like the Sabbath, giving says, we know it's not all up to us, that there's something bigger than me that's happening and someone behind it all who is the Lord of my life. So when we begin to put that pattern, that rhythm of giving into our lives, we are really testifying to ourselves. It's not all up to us. That we don't have to rely only on ourselves. That God is, as we just read, able to bless and to take care. It's a declaration of trust in God's provision. Not the universe's abundance, not the result of our own hustle and grind, but the tender, constant care of God. This forms our character, and it sets our hope. And those are tremendously healthy things to have happening in our hearts in our minds. Jesus said as much in Matthew 6, you might know this passage, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus once said. 
where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, it's fragile, it's temporary. And the idea of setting up your life to focus only on earthly riches gets you nowhere in the end, he's saying, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Set your priorities and your efforts and your thoughts there on eternal things where moths and vermin don't destroy, thieves won't break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I send whatever treasure I have where my heart is or where I want my heart to be set on things above. There's, a, there's, a, um, there's like a, a magnetism to the fact that where I devote my resources is where my mind will go, where my thoughts will go, where my devotion, my priorities will go, where my efforts will begin to go. And so if I want to begin to guide my own mind and heart toward the things that I've decided are important, then where I place my finances, where I place my treasure, so to speak, has a lot to do with that. I sometimes wonder if some of the insanity that we all can sometimes deal with, the anxiety, the depression, or sometimes just the, all the stuff that we deal with in our, in our day-to-day lives and in this world, I wonder if it comes from the fact that we throw a lot of money at things that don't ultimately matter. And then we wonder why meaning and purpose in our lives can be so hard to find. I want to say that again. We throw a lot of money at things that don't ultimately matter, right? Like Jesus is saying, moths, vermin, thieves, they all come in and take it. We throw a lot of money at things that don't ultimately matter and then wonder why meaning and purpose in our lives can be so hard to find. But we don't have, they don't have to be hard to find. Jesus provides them in abundance. So, a couple of practices we've talked about. We practice tithing, one dollar out of every ten. We practice Sabbath, one day out of every seven. And we're going to talk a lot more about habits generally next week as a great practice, how to cultivate good habits. But lastly, let's talk about the queen of habits, one we, practice, we, we could practice every day, and that is the practice, the rhythm of gratitude. I was listening to an audiobook the other day. The author is a well-known researcher whom I appreciate. She was talking about this great discovery, as she put it, this connection between gratitude and joy and contentment and how much data and studies point to that connection. And I thought Jesus followers have known this all along. Check out 1 Thessalonians for starters. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That the link between my own uh, joy and uh, my gratitude is an easy one to find. Now, listen, if we have that passage, let's, let's put it up there because I want to refer to it here real quick. There we go. But if... We see this connection, and this is far from the only place that we'll find it in Scripture. I'll show you another one here in a second. But I also want to just make it really clear. Uh, Rejoice always is nonsense, apart from the reality of the rest of the verse. Because life is hard and sometimes just devastating and often simply discouraging and exhausting. But consistently turning to God in prayer, habitually finding things to thank Him for, this is what makes joy and resiliency and mental and emotional health possible. So much good can flow from that. Consider this passage in Philippians 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which, can, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, you've got you to gotta admit, I certainly do, this sounds great. My mind, my heart needs some peace at times, doesn't it? Our hearts can be broken, our minds can be troubled. And there's something here that we can really begin to see. There's a practice that the scriptures speak of, even, you know, modern day research uh, says it's true, and that is if you and I find ways to practice gratitude, we can find contentment and joy growing in our lives. In fact, few things can turn discontent around more reliably. Have you ever every day you just feel a little bit discontented? Just in a mood? Few things can turn that around more reliably than a good old-fashioned sit down and count your blessings. And I don't mean just agreeing that this is a good idea, but actually stopping, maybe during the Sabbath, maybe every other day of the week as well, and saying, I am grateful for, and make yourself find something. And I bet when you find the first thing, a second thing will come to mind. And it won't take long, and you'll have a half a dozen things that you've already realized you're grateful for, and perhaps your mood will begin to change. When I take time to inventory and really see all that I can be grateful for, it's hard to keep striving for more and more. I begin to instead see what I already have. It's hard to keep feeling like resources are scarce and God's not taking care of things. It's hard not to keep believing that I have something lack. It's hard to keep believing that I have something lacking. It's hard to think that I still have something to prove. It's hard to believe that I don't or won't have enough or that I'm not enough. Gratitude begins to shift all that. And really, as we wrap up here, that's what so much of what we're talking about comes down to, isn't it? The soundtrack that runs in our heads and hearts that says we're not enough. Let's think about that for a second. How often do we find ourselves telling ourselves, I am not thin enough, tough enough, knowledgeable enough, rich enough, respected enough, accomplished enough, educated, attractive, or talented enough. We focus on what we think we're not enough of. Half the time, maybe most of the time, whatever we put in that blank does not really matter. Not for eternity. Maybe not at all. We can begin to shift and realize that we are enough of many things. We are loved enough. We are valued and seen and heard enough. We're provided for and equipped enough. We're called and guided and protected enough that in the things that really matter, we actually do have enough because the Lord is always going to provide that. But then I do think eventually we get to a point where we don't even need to fill in the blank. We just simply can say to ourselves, before the Lord, not, because, not in and of ourselves, but because of Him, I am enough. Anyone want to try that on for size for just a second here? And say that with me? I am enough. One more time. I am enough. So much mental and emotional health and well-being and stability flows from knowing that. Amen? I'm going to invite you to grab your bread in the cup here as we just keep this, keep this kind of flowing here. 
Every Sunday, we give thanks. Speaking of gratitude, our third practice this morning. The act of communion is is very literally and scripturally an act of thanksgiving. Every Sunday, we give thanks for the greatest gift of all, right? The love of Christ. A love that allowed himself to go to the cross. Jesus said when he took the bread, this is my body. It's given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And every Sunday, when we take the cup, we are declaring, not by our, because of us, we are declaring by virtue of the evidence that we are indeed enough. What is that evidence? That the Son of God would die for us. I must be enough, if that is true. So let's take and drink and thank Him for that. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that when you see us, you see us full of love. You see us um, just stacked and packed with the grace and the, the, the faith and the love that, that you foster in us. You see us as someone that you completely accept as we are today, thanks to your grace given to us from the cross. So, Lord, we ask that you would uh, help us to just live into that truth this week. And, Lord, as as we're praying here, we we pray for our world. We pray for, uh, as a church, we pray for so much pain that's happening throughout so many lives. We think of the quake victims on the other side of the world right now, and we ask, God, that you'd be with them and their families, be with all those who are working so hard. God, help them as they rebuild and Lord, our hearts just go out to them. You know every life, and you watch every tear, and you hear every cry. Lord, there are plenty of of people in our church, too, Lord, that I think of and have been praying for this week that I'll just, uh, again, ask God that you'd be with each person as they face the challenges they face, as they deal with uh, the things that you have before them. Lord, help them to lean on you. Help us all, Lord, to lean on you. We love you. We love you that you are so reliable that we can lean on you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.